0: Well, amen indeed. Good morning, Sailorville. And a happy Mother's Day to all of you. Are there any lights in this house? <laughs> I'm trying to look at you moms here. There we go. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. And um, that is all you moms. And I want you to know that you're not alone. Um, did you know that there are, in the 365-day calendar, there are there are 2,300 nationally recognized holidays. In fact, in the month of May, previous to this day, there have been 88 nationally recognized holidays. And even on this day, moms, you're not alone. Did you know this is National Crouton Day? It really is. It's National Frog Jumping Day. It's National Apple Pie Day. And it's National Fruit Cocktail Day. (laughs) So you're not alone, moms. You're not alone. I am a little embarrassed that we are preaching faith of our fathers on Mother's Day. I wish we could have a faith of our mothers. That would be good, wouldn't it? I can look at, my mom's been gone for many years now, but uh, I could preach a few sermons on this mom and right in front of me, my wife, Marilyn. I know I could do that, but you're not in the Bible, honey, so can't do it. If you do have a Bible, you can find Genesis chapter 32. And we are talking this morning about the soul and what goes on in your soul when you have special encounters with God. At some point in your life, and some of you have and have experienced this, you are experiencing it perhaps, that you're encountering God with uh, St. John of the Cross, who was a 15th century mystic, called the La Noche Escora, which is the dark night of the soul. It is that time when you are overwhelmed by the presence of God and changed as a result of it. It could be any amount of experiences or circumstances like a sickness or depression, a sudden loss, death, And uh, when this encounter occurs, and it works, it always involves brokenness and submission and change. It certainly would be the case for Jacob, who we've been looking at for several weeks now. In the midst of Jacob's and our dark night of the soul, We need to do a number of things. I'm going to get right into the text, Genesis 32. Here's the first thing I want you to know. You need to perceive God's presence. So God is there. Would you agree? But do you realize it? Remember, it's Jacob that had this encounter with God 20 years earlier on his way uh, out east, where he would be for 20 years, he met with God at Bethel. He saw the angels on top of the ladder ascending and descending, and he and he said, "Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it." And that seems to be the problem with us so often, as we God is there. We don't argue with the omnipresence of God, but we don't perceive it as we ought. And so right out of the chute, we we learn Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Mahanaim means two camps. Now, I want you to stay with me on this. That means Jacob saw his camp, which was ginormous with all of those animals, servants, wives, kids, big camp. And then God met him with angels that showed him another camp. Mahane means two camps. So he literally could see two camps, his camp and a camp of angels. Once again, God is showing Jacob that he's with him. There's a perception that he needed to have. And this is a little bit like Elisha. Do you remember when Elisha's servant was all bent out of shape? Concerned about all these Syrians that were going to sack the city. And Elijah, remember Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Do you remember that? And suddenly all these angels around the mountains and the ones who were with Elisha and his servant were more than the enemies and they would have great victory. That's the idea here. Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. That's certainly true. And I'm not going to bust out now on a study of angels, okay? I've never seen one, but I have the distinct impression I've been helped by those angelic messengers on more than one occasion. The writer of Hebrews says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation? Have you ever read that? That's what the Bible says. And here's the point. This is all that Jacob needed. This is all that you need, is to know that God is there. And to perceive it as such. Not just as a head knowledge. Not just as an academic thing. But you actually perceive the presence of God. Regardless of what would happen in Jacob's life, which would be a lot. God has now assured him that he is there. He's present with him. And we need this. When you enter into the dark night of your soul, you need to know that God is there. Amen? And so... You need to perceive his presence. And secondly, you need to possess his knowledge because I don't know what I don't know, okay? So I want you to look carefully at the text. Verse three says, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them. Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now 20 years. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. What I want you to notice here, and by the way, you don't geographical insights don't always have spiritual ramifications, but in this case they do. Here's a map of the Middle East as it would have been then. And over on the far right, this, the green is the Fertile Crescent. People would have traveled that. And over where you see Ur, and all, that's the area where Jacob has been for 20 years. Now he's going to get back to the Promised Land, but I want you to know where Esau lived. This is where Esau lived. It would be southern Jordan today. Why do I point that out? Because the normal trek for Jacob to take to get back to the Promised Land would have been this one. If you'll notice, in the next slide, it's not the one he actually takes or intended to take. It was this one. Here's my point. Esau was not in Jacob's way going home. It wasn't like he had to collide with his brother in order to get to the promised land. He was intentionally going beyond the promised land to the area of Edom, the south. The point is, he wanted to reconcile with his brother. Did you know that? That was his intention. They were good. Great intentions, but he had greater fears. Now remember, I'm I'm pointing out the fact that you need to possess God's knowledge. Too often we operate on partial knowledge. Verse six, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. He's got 400 guides with him. Yikes! He's coming with an army. He's still mad at me. He's gonna kill me. Two years ago, I wrote in my Bible when I was studying this, I I wrote these words. I wrote, Mark this under causes of operating on incomplete information. If you've read ahead in the story, you know that Esau does not intend to attack his brother Jacob. He wants to reconcile too, but Jacob's got incomplete, he's got partial information. Just by how many of you have ever operated on partial information? Can I see every hand in this room? And some of you live on it. That's the problem. This is the reason why the writer of Proverbs says, the first one to plead his cause seems right till his neighbor comes and examines him. Have you ever read that? So God wants us to ascertain all the facts before we take action, but we often do this. We we operate on partial knowledge, so we make judgments, we, we make plans, we don't even have all the facts. It's one thing to have that in a certain circumstance. It's another thing to operate in your Christian life if you are a Christian, with God, I mean, I mean, Jacob literally is going to set the standard for overreacting here. <laughs> I mean, in the in the verses that follow, he gets 550 cattle, sheep, oxen. And he gave, he's got the whole the camels, the whole 550. In fact, a friend of mine calculated that the that the cost of the, those 550 animals he sent on his way ahead to go to Esau to sort of assuage his anger, which he wasn't angry was worth about $200,000 in our own economy. I mean, that's a lot of money to spend for nothing. And and we know he's afraid because verse 7 says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and flocks and herds and camels into two camps. Keep that in mind. Now he's busted up his big group into two camps. So that should make how many camps? Anybody doing the math here? I'll come back to it. You should know. So he breaks him up, thinking, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks (laughs) it's the same thing. Constantly conniving. Constantly not leaving God out of it. He's not operating on the knowledge of God. He's got a partial knowledge, and he's operating. He's been doing this his whole life. And some of you do that. Not just with circumstances, but with life. It's one thing to do with circumstances, it's another thing to operate that way with your whole life. Remember what Jeremiah said? He said, Let, let, the, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let, let the one who glories, let the one who boasts, let the one who brags, brag in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. You need to possess. The knowledge of God in the dark night of your soul. That's going to be the thing that's going to get you out. It's not enough to just have John three sixteen and an amazing grace, which apparently is just fine for some of you, but I'm telling you, it won't work in the dark night of your soul. And Jacob is operating with partial knowledge. And here's a third thing you need to do when you enter into this time encounter of God. You need to persevere in God's promises. Now, I'm going to explain that. Persevere. I mean, keep on going. You need to actively believe. They need to be, those promises ought to be active in your life. Now, he's about to pray. And by the way, you've been with us, this is, this is only the second time we've seen Jacob talking to God. In 20 years. Doesn't mean he hasn't. It just recorded. Last time we, rec- we recorded a prayer between God and Jacob is when he's at Bethel 20 years earlier. But here's the prayer. Notice how humble it is. But it probably reflects a little bit of Jacob who is not a particularly spiritual man. He's been a, He's a piece of work, isn't he? But he prays now, verse 9. Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now i become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. I fear him that he may come and attack me and the mothers with the children. But you, God... You said, I will surely do you good. I'll make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. So can we admit this is a humble prayer? And it's an honest prayer. I fear my brother Esau. He says it right in there. It's an honest prayer. I mean, his last impression of this big, hairy, red Esau was that he was coming after, he was conniving, thinking the first opportunity he could eat was going to kill him. Remember that? Here's the thing I want you to grab a hold of. Jacob hasn't forgotten the promises of God. Clearly, right, in the prayer. He hasn't forgotten them. But does he believe them? That's, that's where the rub is. I'm thinking you, many of you, have, you, you haven't forgotten the promises of God, but do you really believe them? I wonder if Jacob's going, Lord, I've screwed up my life so badly. I wonder if these promises even apply to me anymore. Can you relate to Jacob in that regard? You've messed up, you've screwed up, you've, you've sinned, you've rebelled, and you wonder, does God, does, he, does this whole love me for everything still work? It's interesting to me that God doesn't answer this prayer and say, hey, don't worry about it, Jacob, I still love you, and by the way, Esau is even coming after you anyway. No, he makes him sweat it out, just like he makes us sweat it out when we're filled with, Oh, by the way, did you notice I personally, I particularly emphasize twice, two camps. He says, we got, I got two camps. Are you following me? I, remember verse 1, when the angels appeared to him, he called the place Mahanaim, which means two camps, his whole camp, and then the camp of angels indicating God's presence and protection. Then he actually divides his big one into two camps. Now there should be how many camps? How many? Three. But he doesn't see the angels anymore. They haven't left. He just doesn't see them. We're told to walk by faith, not by what? Sight. Jacob had been given a faith look at those angels, literally. they were still there, he didn't see him because that was his whole life walking by sight, just like some of you. And so, what he does, because he can't see him, he doesn't, he's not persevering in the promise of God that he himself prayed, he just doesn't really believe it. He goes back to his old ways. In verses 17 through 21, he, gets, he sends three waves. He, he creates, this is all human psychology at work. He creates three waves of of cattle and camel and goats and sheep, with servants, to a- approach Esau, because he's assuming Esau's coming to kill him. I'm gonna give you this, I'm gonna give you this, and here comes my servant, and, 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 my, and Jacob's right behind me, and he's way in the back. Just, you know, what a manly man he is. He's sending these waves out there. It's all human psychology in his hopes of assuaging the anger of Jacob. And all of this spells one word, fear. He's a fearful man. And the fear of man brings a snare, right? Proverbs says. He's petrified. He is paranoid. And if you want to know if you're a fearful person like Jacob, then when you are is when, when that person or that thing or that event, whatever it may be, is on your mind, always on your mind, you can't get it off of your mind, it's there on your mind, then you're just like Jacob. You're fearing men rather than God. The promises of God he has just prayed, quickly replaced with the anxieties of man. Can you relate to that? This is what Paul meant when he said, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. By prayer with supplication, that's continued prayers because we don't just pray once. With thanksgiving, we we give praise to God. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends all comprehension, right, will set a garrison around your mind and your heart through Christ Jesus. That's if you're persevering in the promises of God. But Jacob is not doing that. And some of you aren't. You know them, you just don't believe them. Every one of us enter the dark night of the soul. If you, when you do so, you better have a real perception of God. You better be possessing the knowledge of God, and you better be persevering in the promises of God. And here's the last thing I want you to know. It's the one thing I don't want you to forget. You need to prevail in your feeling. Because your victory is found in your defeat. So here is here's Jacob. He's convinced Esau's coming to get him. So he sends all of these waves with a king's ransom, all of these cattle to go to Esau. And he's back there like a little wimp. He even at night sends his wives and his kids across the Jabbok River, which is a river, not a creek. This thing is a fast-running thing, and at night it would have been a daunting thing to get across. But he even sends them on ahead of him. And he's alone. He's all alone in the dark night of his soul. And the Bible tells us in verse 24, Jacob was alone. And suddenly a man grabs him. And wrestles until the break of day. Who do you suppose he thinks grabbed him? He thinks it's Esau. The trickster's been tricked. And they're fighting. What ensues after this would make an MMA fight look like a backyard skirmish. They are going at each other. Wrestling, fighting, kicking, gouging, pulling, dunking along the Jabbok. Up and down the rocky, ragged, rough cliffs of the Jabbok. And in the end, I mean, they're everything, and, and even dislocating. This isn't a, a three-round, five-minute caged fight. This is a six- to seven-hour, rugged, ragged, rough-and-tumble fight. And who's he fighting with anyway? Hosea tells us, in the womb, he grasped his brother's heel, And as an adult, he wrestled with who? With who? He wrestled with God. He's wrestling with God. The night, the dark night of Jacob's soul would find him fighting with God. And this would be a metaphor, a parable, whatever you want to call it, of his entire life. And really some of yours. You want to have your cake and eat it too. You want Jesus, but you want it your way. And you've been resisting God all of your lives. You have no peace. You're bloodied and broken. I mean, look at me. Just picture Jacob here. He's bloodied. He's broken. He's dragging a hoof for crying out loud. His hip is out of joint. And did I mention He's 97 years old. So, those of you that are north of 30, stop acting like you know it all. Some of you are north of 70 and you haven't changed in decades. God never stops working on his children. And he won't quit working on you. Just the other day, somebody from our church, somebody very dear to my heart, who came to Christ a few years ago, struggling with a life-dominating sin, was in my yard, weeping his eyes out. He has been beaten by his own struggle. And I assured him that the love of God is still there for him. I love you. God loves you. He can change you. And he can change you too. If you'll submit to him. Uh, Look what happens in the middle of this. Verse 25. Check it out. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. This was a fixed fight. (laughs) And he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. I mean, this is God talking. Seriously. Oh, please let me go. It's like my, you know, it's like, The uncle's wrestling with our grandkids. Oh, please, let me go, let me go. And he said to him, that's Jacob said to the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you what? Say it. Bless Bless me. Okay, it took half the night, but he finally figured out who he was really wrestling with. This is fascinating to me. Jacob goes from God who will not let him go to saying and declaring, I will not let you go. And by the way, that has always been the way it is. We choose him because he first chose us. We love him because he first loved us. And we hold on to him because he first held us. So it was with Jacob, so it will be with you. And so in the middle of all of this, the most epic moment arrives. Jacob is beaten, he's bloodied, they have fought for six or seven hours, his hip is out of joint, and the Lord speaks to him and says this question, What is your name? What is your name? What is your name? In Bible times, to disclose your name, because it was so often attached to the experience of your coming into this world, but to disclose your name was the ultimate in self-revelation. It was to disclose one's name was was to, to give your deepest identity, to, to, to say that this is who I really am. Do you remember when Jesus was going back and forth with his detractors? And, uh, and he said to them, Look, you know, Abraham thought it was pretty cool to see my day. They, what? You're not even 50 years old and you knew Abraham? Oh, come on. And Jesus says, Well, before Abraham was, what? I am. That was his ultimate self-disclosure in life. He was saying, I am, I'm the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. I am the self-existent, omnipotent, almighty God. That's what he was declaring. No wonder they tried to kill him. Now it's flipped. It's Jesus talking to Jacob, and he's asking a question, and he's asking us the same. What is your name? Jacob has been beaten. What else can he do but acknowledge? I am Yahab. I am Jacob. I am a deceiver. That's what he was saying. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus knew who Jacob was. He needed him to admit who he was. I need to confess who I am before I can know I am. And when he does that, then God pronounces this upon him. It's an amazing thing. He says, you have fought with God and with men, and have, what would you fill in the blank with? Lost, been beaten, had your hiney handed to you, something like that. But no, the Lord says, You fought with, you have fought with God and men, you have prevailed. Prevailed? I don't look at his life as one who prevailed. How does that even work? How can God even say this? You know, I used to be a wrestler. Way, way back in the day. Greatest sport of all time, by the way. And I was wrestling in an old-timers tournament, and, uh, and I, was, I, was, uh, I was still pretty young, pretty fit, and uh, I, was, I was winning my matches and losing the crowd. Imagine that. Being prideful and arrogant, got into the championship match and was putting a move on the guy that would surely have finished him off, only he countered it, headlocked me, put me on my back, was choking the life out of me. And I gave up, and I heard the referee slap the mat. I got pinned, and the crowd went crazy. I know it's hard to believe. I had been, the way I I had been beaten by my own pride And it would not be the first time i had been humbled by my pride. Years ago, preaching on this same character, I got into a tizzy in the pulpit because Jacob's name means deceiver. And I said, I can't understand why anybody would name their kid Jacob. I know, those words came out of my mouth. We had half a dozen Jacobs in our church and three dozen people who were supporting the half a dozen that had Jacob's names. That whole sermon just went right down the tube. The next day, the staff said, you know, probably not the smartest thing that came out of your mouth. And I had to humble myself and went back to these individuals and asked for their forgiveness. I I conquered one by actually hiring her. (laughs) She's working for us now. Not really. That's not how I did that. But uh, (laughs) I would never prevail over my pride until I was beaten in my pride. And that's what's going on here in the dark night of Jacob's soul. He encountered God. Proud, self-reliant, self-made man. And he would never be the same. When he would walk away from this scuffle, the, the end of the text says he would, renounce, he would walk with a pronounced limp. You show me a man in the spiritual realm with no limp, I'll show you a man with no spine. And whatever your limp may be, be it physical, emotional, psychological, relational, financial, it may be the very means by which God is blessing you. Tozer said, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. Has he conquered you? In Jacob's loss, he would prevail. He would be changed. He'd be given another name. Israel, God's fighter. Cool. You get a new name too. Because if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have what? They become new. But here's the deal, Jacob never changed until he admitted who he was. So here's my final question. What is your name? What is your name? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the life of Jacob And we confess that we're more like him than Jesus. And we ask your forgiveness for manipulation, for being self-led, self-driven, fearful of others. God, we confess to you that we, we know you're here, but we don't perceive it. We have knowledge, but we don't really possess it. God, we need to fear you above all things and agree with you that our victory is in our defeat. Some of us haven't changed in years. I pray that that would come to a stop today and that broken and beaten, we would confess our our name. Sinner separated, alienated, disassociated with you. And that we would come to the one who built the bridge between us and you, our Lord Jesus, who died and rose again. Receive forgiveness and eternal life. And for those in this room, Lord, who know you, but like Jacob, have operated on their own, this may be the dark night of their soul. May they confess their name and be given a fresh start. Indeed, be blessed by you. We confess, Lord, that if we in our own strength confide our striving, would be losing. In Jesus name, amen. Let's stand. I've had a number of dark night of the soul in my own life. And in some of those situations, I've had to be like Jacob. I've had to be completely broken of pride, uh, wrong thinking, wrong headedness. And when those times happen, they give way to the most Precious encounters with God, even though you know you kind of feel beaten and bloodied. So don't fear God. If He's gonna pin you down, he'll do it in love. So whatever you're going through, and did I tell you he was 97 years old? Yeah, I did, didn't I? Yeah, I did. So please remember that, those of you who are north of 30. Who think you've figured it all out. You haven't figured it all out. But you do need to perceive the presence of God. And you do need to possess his knowledge. You do need to hold on to those promises and realize that there is victory in your defeat, whatever it is. You know, whatever that looks like. So, I just want to encourage you to really let this message sink into your heart. What's your name? What's your name? It's Mother's Day, so enjoy the day. Enjoy the, the travel, whatever, the cookout and all of that. And bless your moms. Bless them. Bless their memories and the ones you have. Bless them. Let's bring the lights up here, will yeah, I want to see everybody while I'm talking to them. Thank you very much. Uh, so, to me, this is one of those uh, passages of Scripture which I think we take way too lightly. I think I mean it when I say, I think there's too many of us who think you've, you'd never admit it, but you think you've somehow arrived. And I know I feel like, is he re preaching his message? Yeah, I kind of am. I kind of am. Not because I, I want to re preach it, just because I know it. we need it. Did I tell you that Jacob was 97 years old? Our own Dixie Gates didn't make it to 97, but she made it, and now she knows in a way she never knew before. We're going to celebrate her life in an unusual time, so please hear me. I'm not misspeaking when I tell you that it's this Tuesday evening is the visitation at 5 to 7, and then there's actually a funeral at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, if you want to honor her memory. Love to have you come and do that. And, and in fact, her dear friend June is here in this service and she's going to be giving a testimony. You'll want to hear that too. So uh, anyway, pray for the family if you would. There's a Coffee Cove time over here. love to see you over there for some refreshment. Nothing going on tonight, so enjoy your day. God bless you.